Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, the new year, 2017. And it's, uh, it's, always, uh, it's always great to begin a new year. Things are fresh and new and opportunity to, to look at life uh, maybe from a fresh perspective. Uh, I was up fairly early this morning and I, I got an email from uh, one of our missionaries in the Philippines. And he said, isn't it, isn't it awesome to start a new year in the church, in a place of worship, in a place of centering your life on Christ? And, and I was thinking, no, I just want to sleep in today. But anyway, he was a lot more spiritual than I am. Um, I do want to, as we think about starting well, um, and I just kind of picked that as the title, it sounded pretty good for a New Year's message, uh, but really, you know, thinking about starting well, God is concerned about how we start and also how we, how we end and also how we live in between. And, and as we really think about that, that's, that's really a challenge this morning. I mean, talking about starting well, but really the theme is wh- wherever we are in life's journey, and we don't know how much time we got, we want to end well, and we want to live well in between. Uh, some of you are aware that uh, my brother and I had opportunity to, uh, or had the the responsibility, I guess you could say, to fly out on Thursday. My uncle passed away right before Christmas, and they planned the service after uh, Christmas. And, you know, it's interesting as you are involved in a, in a time with family and thinking about someone you grew up with. We spent all of our holidays, every birthday you can imagine, with uh, my cousins and my aunt and, and uncle. Uh, you, you, you think about life. You, I always, uh, or almost always, use a phrase like this, is that we think more about life at death than any other time in life. And isn't that true? It just it kind of takes away all the other things. I guess I shouldn't have started with that illustration. <laughs> but as I was, oh, i got to tell you one other thing, because if I, if I kind of flinch and groan up here, and you're wondering, boy, he doesn't even like his own message, is that uh, on, on Wednesday before we left, I was, I was out jogging, and I, I wish the story had a, a, a different part to it, but as I, as I was jogging, I, I, I tripped, and, and, and I landed. I, I tried to break my fall as best I could. I kind of got my hand down there and this, and I got my leg down there, but my chest kind of got driven into the cement, you know, and, and the first day I was okay, but the last three days, if I take a deep breath, man, I feel it, and for the last two or three days, um, I don't sleep too well because every time you turn, uh, and those of you who've had back problems or, what, or ever had a bruised rib, that's, that's what I'm experiencing. And then I got, got the great encouragement from my son who did a lot more. Uh, I wish I could have said I did it snowboarding, um, but it was just, I was, I was kind of clumsy. That's the only thing that, that caused it to happen. Uh, and what Mark did that a week before I did it, and he just went to uh, um, somebody to work on him. He said, it's going to be another month before you feel well. And I said, don't tell me that. Please don't <laughs> tell me that. But, it, but as you think about life, life doesn't always happen as exactly as you have it planned. And if uh, you're anywhere near like me, I, you know, I, I would prefer to be uh, in control at all times, and not only my life, but every one of your lives as well, you know. And, and so you could just make sure that the things that happen are the things you feel should happen, and that you are right in, in line of the things that will just enhance life. But as you think about things that happen in life, they don't always enhance life. Uh, in the way you think they will. But one of the things I've discovered is that when you, when you do something uh, clumsy, uh, whether it's your own fault that you're in the predicament you're in or something out of your control and it's, you have nothing to blame other than the circumstances around you, it does humble you because you recognize that, that life is filled with good moments and some moments you wish weren't experienced by you. I, I wouldn't care if it happened to you, but uh, you know, I don't want it to happen to me. That kind of thing. But, but really what I want to share with this morning is that God is concerned about how we live. And not only how we live, but he's going to give us some clues as how to make that happen. And so this morning what I want to do is I, I want us to kind of 
look back and look forward and look at right now in terms of how God wants us to live. And reminiscing a little bit about my, my uncle, my uncle started well and he ended well, but he struggled in between. But the good news is that, you know, God is still able to take any life, that was that pain right there, um, um, and still use it in a way that will touch lives. And it, it was great just to hear the family who went through some difficult times, ow, experience, experience God's grace. It kind of helps the, the tears when, I, when I'm in pain, okay, um, gets my mind off the emotion. Well, anyway, this, this morning what I'm doing, I don't know how much time I'm going to take to do it, but um, I have a good, good relationship with my neighbor. Many, many of you have, have met Kim and, and Carol, and, and we have this ongoing dialogue about faith. And from his perspective, he likes to look at things primarily from a sociological, psychological, quasi-religious perspective. He's open about God, but he says, you know, I believe a lot of things similar to you, but just you know, kind of fundamentally different. Well, he also likes to, to read the Wall Street Journal, and he gave me this article right before Christmas, and I, and I thought it was a great article. And he says, why this rabbi loves Christmas. And it begins this way, Christmas fan, fantas, uh, fascinates me. Uh, I, I'm drawn to its history, its color, its atmosphere, its music. And of course, I'm drawn to the fact that Jesus was a Jew. And I, often with Kim, I'll say, all, all my favorite people, my most favorite people in the world are Jewish. You know, Jesus, Paul, Peter, you know, all, the, all those people. Everybody in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, that were people who walk by faith. And so this rabbi says, you know, really, I have nothing against Christmas because really it's all about Jesus, and Jesus was a Jew, and he comes out kind of a hero in, in many ways. Um, uh, he was born a Jew, lived as a Jew, and died a Jew. If for nothing else, I can appreciate Christmas as the celebration of one Jew's epic birthday. The 20th century philosopher and theologian Martin Buber would often begin lectures uh, gathering a few of, uh, with Jews and Christians about whether Jesus was the Messiah. Christians, Christians believe he was, and they're awaiting his return. Jesus believed the Messiah hasn't yet come. His suggestion, let's all pray for the Messiah, Christians and Jews alike, when he arrives, we'll ask if he's been here before. And, and, and that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, they believe in the Old Testament that God has a promised one to come, and we look at he's already been here, they think he's still coming, and when uh, it all ends up, uh, have you already been here before? And of course, we believe that Jesus is coming again. But as I was thinking about that, that really kind of speaks about really what should you know, center our life. In the midst of looking into a new year, 2017, we want to live within the balance of doing much, much more for what God wants us to accomplish until he comes. And the verse of the month for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the great privilege we have is to cooperate with God as he seeks to those who people have not yet come to that place of surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ and entering the life that he has for them. And, and so we have that great adventure of that, but also God doesn't want us to think it's all upon us, that we can rest in him as well. 
So we've got so much more to do, and we have so much more to depend upon the one who's come for us to, to give us life, to rescue us, and help us to be people who rescue others. But it really does center on what, what do you believe about God? And for the, the Christian, as well, the Jewish, and basically there are only two types of people in this world, people who are Jewish and not Jewish in terms of how the Bible looks at it. Everyone else is a Gentile, non-Jewish, and those who were of that particular ethnic race, covenant people of God, they are Jewish. But it really all revolves around what do you believe about God, and then it falls from that is what do you believe about Messiah, and then as you go through periods of time where you struggle about what you do believe, you have to answer the question, well, why? Why do I believe this about God? Why do I believe this about the Messiah? And why do I believe that this should center my life in all that I do? Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to to kind of address that. So we're going to look back a few days to Christmas gone past, but then we're going to be looking how that should impact this new year. And I hope to answer these these questions uh, for us and also kind of react a little bit to what this Jewish rabbi said. Because he goes on to say, well, how would we recognize the Messiah that we're looking forward to come? And he has some interesting perspectives of how he looks at the one who is to come in terms of how he understands this book that we study every week. But let's, uh, let's deal with it as basically as possible this morning. Is, uh, we'll ask, ask the question, kind of who, what, when, where, why, and uh, see what uh, God's Word says about it. Well, who really is the Messiah? And as we think about that, uh, for us who look at the Old Testament and New Testament, we believe the Bible answers that. He's given us a very clear picture who is the Messiah, and in case you're not aware of that, um, the word Christ, Christos in the Greek, is the, is the same word for the Hebrew rendering of that, Meshua or Messiah. So when you ask the question, who really is the Messiah, you're really asking the question, who really is Christ? And as we went through the names of Jesus or the titles or description of Jesus, uh, he wasn't called all those phrases. He, he wouldn't say, hey, Rosa Sharon, will you come over for dinner? You know, he, he, the lily of the valley would come up and clean up my garden. He, he wasn't called those by name, but that's who he was. That was the description of who he was. But as, as we think about this very simple one, and this is the one we would all get, who really is the Messiah, Christ, from our perspective? His name is the J word, Jesus. And the Bible is very clear that, you know, Luke 2, 11, for today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. So that really drives us to that little baby in the manger who in Matthew chapter 1 says his name is Jesus who will take away our sins. We would say it's clearly the one who is the Messiah, the one who is the Christ, is Jesus. But even though that great scene at his birth, and it's interesting as you look at the New Testament, um, two of the four Gospels don't even talk about his birth at all. You know, we make a big thing every year celebrating the birth of Christ. But Mark and John don't speak about that at all. You get the account in Matthew as well as in Luke. But as we think about that, the question about who is the Christ was one they wrestled with. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, and then I want to, we won't look at all the passages I have, have outlined for you this morning, but we, we see in the conversation that, that Jesus had at the woman in the well, the real, the real story was, well, who is the Christ? And so uh, there was a conversation going on, and in John chapter 4, verse 24 through 26, we have this part of the conversation. Uh, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And there was an argument about um, not so much 
who you worship, but where you worship. Should you do it on this mountain or that mountain? And he's saying, well, you've got it all wrong. I mean, it, there are some things that God has guided us to in terms of uh, maybe where, but the emphasis is you can worship God where? Everywhere and anywhere. So he says, God is the Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman responds back to Jesus, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. In case you know, we didn't get it, there's a phrase in the, uh, the rendering of the Gospel of John. He who was called the Christ, Messiah and Christ are synonyms. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And then Jesus said to her, and this is where many people will, will really miss it when they think that Jesus really didn't claim to be who he, who he is in plain language. He said, I who speak to you am what? Am he. And so Jesus, there were others who said about Jesus, he was the Christ, he was the Messiah. But even in conversation with someone who was wrestling with their journey toward God, um, they said, well, when, when the Messiah comes, it, it will solve everything. And, and one of the ways, and she kind of gives a clue here, that we'll know he is a Messiah because he will be able to declare how many things to us? All things to us. And so then Jesus, and again, no uncertain terms, says, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Going on in the conversation, verse 28 and 29, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to her, uh, said, said to the man, come and see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And so what Jesus does, he tells her her, his whole, her whole history, uh, at least in the physical sexual area, and she's blown away that he knows how many partners she's had and who he w- she was now living with. And she began to say, this meets the qualification of who the Messiah is. So her immediate response was, when she knew who the Messiah was, she went out and told others about him. And they come out, probably out of curiosity as much as anything else, verses 39 through 42. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. But when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that the one, this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And so as we think of a very simple question about Christmas, and we better get it right, and this is where the rabbi is wrestling about this little baby that was in the manger, is he really the Messiah or are we supposed to wait for another one? In the New Testament, it's very clear that, that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the ones who encountered him on a one-on-one basis came, came to the experience that he was the Messiah. And then a whole town were convinced as they spend time with Jesus, this is one like no one has ever been. And he is the promised one who is to come. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a clear thing for us all to come to the place. To, well, is that true for you? Is Jesus the promised one for you? Have you come to that point where that is your conviction? But you really do have to ask the question, well, what really is the Messiah? And later on in this article, it goes on and says, well, you know, when the Messiah comes, it might be difficult for us to determine who he really is, because how are we going to know? And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But what, what he goes on in this article, he says, well, what some people look for in the Messiah is like some superhero. Have you noticed how many different uh, movies now are having 
you know, you have, you know, Superman, which is pretty prevalent, but then you have, you know, something like called like the Ant-Man, and then you have everything in between. You now, I guess this next year, they're going to have Superwoman come out and do some, some movies. Everyone's looking for a hero that's going to solve all the problems of the world. And what, what he says, is that what we need to look for and who this, this uh, one that is to come? And his response is, I, I don't think the Messiah is going to be a superhero. He's just going to be someone who's going to point people to God. But is that really who the Messiah is, the Christ? Well, if, you, if you've looked at what we've been studying over the last month, the Bible describes the Messiah much, much differently. And in Isaiah 9, 6, it said that the one who is to come will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so we don't look at that baby in the manger as just some religious leader. We say this is the one who truly has God become a man. In John 14, 8 and 9, uh, if you have your Bible still in, in John, uh, there was a conversation even with the disciples, and they, they were struggling with just who Jesus is. And this is a passage that was used by another pastor in the service this last week. Uh, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me if it were not... T- in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prayer a place for you. And then, then he asked the question, well, do you know who I am? They go, well, we don't really know who you are and where you're going. And he said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Thomas, who is known as Doubting Thomas, says, I'm not quite getting this still. And then Philip comes to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us, verse 8. And then in verse 9, he says, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Let me just read to you something that the rabbi said, which was just fascinating to me. He says, you know what Christians do when they're trying to find out what they ought to do? He said, many of them will say, what would Jesus do? And he, then he kind of poked at himself. He said, well, what do Jewish people do? Well, they said, well, what does the law say? And he said, now, the struggle for us is we got so many people telling us what the law means or says or doesn't say that we, we get more confused after we look at the law than we did before. And, and then he challenged both the Christians and the Jewish people. He said, what we really all ought to say is, what would God want me to do? And see, what he is missing here more than anything else is not, not only who is the Messiah. He doesn't think the Messiah has come. He doesn't think it's Jesus. But what he doesn't understand, even from his perspective looking at Christians, is that we don't just think that Jesus is a great counselor or a great leader or a great teacher or one who can guide us. We really believe that when we look at what Jesus did or said, it was God doing it, and it's God who says it. And when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, and that's in John, John as well, they knew what he meant by that, because they picked up stones to kill him. And yet many people in the world today somehow don't get it, that we believe that Jesus is the everlasting Father, that, that God and the Father are one. And we worship the true and living one. 
And we need to come to that point as well. Have you come to that conviction that you really know who Jesus is and what he has done? But I want to wrestle with this. Why would we really believe that Jesus is the Messiah or Christ? Why would we really believe that Jesus is God become man? Let me read to you again from this article just for a few moments. I thought this was fascinating. Well, I'm a religious Jew, and Judaism unequivocally promotes belief in the Messiah. The concept sometimes puzzles me. My difficulty with the notion of a Messiah is not an issue of faith. That's too personal to argue, which is kind of interesting. The question is, if the Messiah were to appear or reappear, what would he say that hasn't already been said? I assure you that there would be nothing new no surprises. The Messiah would likely declare that we shouldn't treat fellow human beings like objects and that we shouldn't steal from one another. To bring peace to the world, the Messiah would certainly demand, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't murder, especially in the name of God. Don't commit adultery and don't bear false witnesses. He would no doubt add that personal and universal redemption requires that we not gossip, manipulate others, or act deceitfully and that we should channel and refine our base impulses. This would help us become kinder, kinder, humbler, and more human. All of us are well aware with these timeless moral instructions the result of our affiliation with churches and synagogues. Such lofty principles are hardwired into Judeo-Christian ethic. A Messiah need not repeat them. Even if his message isn't fresh, many idealize the message as a as a redeemer with supernatural powers. But the point that struck me there is, as he thinks about the Messiah that has come, what, what needs to be said that, has already, that hasn't already been said? But again, he misses the whole life of Jesus when he was here. Uh, turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 5, not just listen, or, or just listen as I read, because this is one of the credentials of Jesus being the Messiah, because he just didn't say the same things that had already been said. But what he actually did is he took those things that had been said and then give them the complete and full meaning. For instance, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus said, You have heard that the angels were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And this rabbi would say, See, you know, it doesn't, not, there doesn't need to be said anything additional, but it goes on. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. See, Jesus took murderer's acts and said, you can murder people with your words. And I guess I want to bring it home as much as possible. In 2016, did anybody commit murder? Did, did anybody say things to people that if, if it was recorded, you wouldn't want it to be broadcasted this morning here in a place like this? Where, where your anger was at such a level, whether you call it road rage or whether you call it trying to right a wrong that you felt was so huge that you had 
you had to say things to people in such a harsh and mean way that you demean people who are created in the image of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that takes what God has said in his word and puts it on a whole different level that we wouldn't have unless the Messiah, the one who is the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, and brought it down to the point where all of us are humbled before him. And yet, isn't that what he continually did in the Sermon on the Mount? Verse 27, 28, you have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We have a pandemic thing in our culture, mostly with men, but it is crossed over to both genders. Where where pornography is, is so rampant. And it's so participated in that ethicists are now trying to actually come back, well, well, maybe, maybe it is, if it's so prevalent, maybe it's not wrong. And God says, when you've done that, you've, you've committed adultery in your heart. We won't raise hands now, but I mean, we, we could all ask ourselves, how many of you have committed adultery this last year? How many of you have been so caught up in things that... that it would break the heart of all that knows you if they knew you participated in your thought life. And I'm not talking about the temptation, but I'm talking about the preoccupation. And then Jesus went on. I mean, you could look through the whole sermon, but look at verses 33 and then 37. He said, and again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. In 37, he said, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. I mean, he brought down this. If we, if we made a promise to God in a public arena, we might say, well, i got to better make sure I fall through on that one. But have any of us in this last year said we're going to be someplace and didn't quite make it? That, that we would take on a responsibility and, and then we didn't fall through. That we... we we pledged something as being true, and in reality, we knew it wasn't true. See, Jesus took everything to a much deeper level. And this rabbi, if I had personal conversation with him, don't you see that we can recognize who did come? Because he has said things that no one has said before. In fact, that was the response of those who heard him. As you look in... Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 7, verse 28 and 29, after the Sermon on the Mount was over, he says, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For his teaching is one having authority and not as the scribes. Why do we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, who, who, who the Bible tells very, very clearly that he is more than just a teacher, that he's almighty God, that he's eternal, that he is the one who is the great teacher that points beyond just to our behavior but to what's on the inside? It's because he's God. Uh, But look over to Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, there's so many reasons. We're going to be seeing this as we go through the gospel of Luke. Lord willing, we're going to be looking at Luke uh, in 2016 or much of 2016. But look at verse 22. Uh, look Look what he says. 
But also some women among us were amazed when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly just as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And so as we think about who is the Messiah, it's Jesus. Who, what is the Messiah? He's God. Why do we believe that he's the Messiah and God? Because look, if God were to come to this place, he'd come in a miraculous way, the virgin birth, but, but he would end his life in a way no one else had ended it because he would rise from the dead. Not someone else would raise him from the dead, but he would rise himself from the dead. The tomb would be empty. But then he goes on, there's a conversation with Jesus to, to some men who he encountered. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into this glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them these things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Why do we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, who is the God, who is Almighty God? Because not only did he raise, was he risen from the dead, but he fulfilled everything in the Old Testament concerning himself as the one who was to come. Can you imagine being in a, in a, in a room with God and say, how foolish are you? In what way have I been foolish? Because of all the things I have written, and yet you still did not believe. So as we, as we start well this year, we, we want to just get back to the very basics. The very basics is we, we've got to be convinced, what do we believe about God? Has God fully revealed himself? And if he has, who is he? He's Jesus. And if Jesus is fully revealed who God is, how would he best do that? By being God. And he, 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 he demonstrated that in every way imaginable. By not only what he said, but by what he did, his victory over death, and the fulfillment of all the prophecies that God had recorded for us in the scriptures. But really, the challenge for us is okay, well, if that be true, then so what? And so I want to conclude this morning with simply this when we really remember what the Messiah Christ did, what should happen? What should happen to us? In 1 Peter 3.18, we have these words, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In a few moments, we're going to participate in communion together, and we're going to do it how we normally do it in the, in the traditional service, where we have the men come forward and we serve communion to you. And as we partake of the bread and partake of the cup, what does it really mean? It's God's object lesson to us that the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might be forgiven. That we might be given God's righteousness, which means that we can be right with God. To recognize it's not what we do, but what God has done. And isn't that really how to, to live well? Is to recognize it and be convinced that we can be right with God and all of our sins can be forgiven. As my brother and I were with the family and talking with all the experiences over the last 93 years, or his, he lived 93 years, but some who had been, hurt, had been hurt very badly during that period of time, 
have come to the point where they said, I have forgiven everything. And the reason they could forgive is because they recognized that they had been forgiven. And as you go into the new year, as we start this new year together, there might be some people in your life that have hurt you deeply. And when we recognize who Jesus is in all its fullness and all that he did for us, it makes us people who want to live in such a way that show we've experienced what he gives and we want to give it to others. That his work on the cross makes us right with him. And because all of our sins have been forgiven, we can forgive others who have hurt us. Wouldn't that be a great new label for Christians in 2017? Not that they think of us as more holy than other people. Not that they see us as trying to tell people what they ought to be doing and we're not doing it ourselves but that we are seeking and saving to rescue those who are broken on the inside and can be made whole. To invite people to to give their life to the the one who is life so they can be right with God. And and that's really the other part of it. When we really understand that, then we want to proclaim this message to everyone. And that really is the picture of the communion service in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 we have these words, for I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night when he used to betray, took bread, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant, my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then this last phrase, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. See, every time we take this, it's not only time for us to reflect upon our own life and where maybe we are far from him in terms of our faithfulness or our commitment. But it's also a statement celebrating what what Christ does for us. He he takes us who have nothing to offer and say, I'm going to make you new on the inside. The Bible says that, that, that when we're in Christ, we're new creatures. The old things are past. New things have come. Everything is new because God makes it new. And we just, in a fresh way, want to say, God, I, I want to get this message out. I, until you return, I want to proclaim the message of new hope in Christ. Remembering what God has done and look forward to what God wants to do. That's how God wants us to start the new year. That's God how, how God wants us to live in the new year. And whenever it, he comes again or whenever our life is over, that's how he wants us to end our life, is to spend it well, remembering what he has done, is doing, and will do because of what he's done on the cross. And in a few moments, I'm going to pray, and we're going to have our men come forward and our 
worship team will share at times in the celebration of, of the communion table. But if you know the Lord, we invite you to participate in, in just reflecting on who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he wants us to be in this new year. Simply children of God that identify in him and want to live for him. And if you don't know him, what, what better time than to start the new year with embracing Christ as your Savior and Lord? Say, Lord, I don't want to lead, lead my own life. I want you to lead it. I, I don't want to do my own thing. I want to do your thing. I want, to, I want to give you my life. The Bible says the only way to really gain in this world is to, to lose what you have, to lay it all on the altar for him. But as the cup comes and the bread comes, reflect on his sacrifice made for you and the blood that was poured out for you so that you could be forgiven and made right in God's eyes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can know who you are. We can know the promised one who came to declare fully who you are because he was God in the flesh. We, we can thank you that we, we can know why we believe because you taught like no one else had taught. You lived like no one else had lived. You fulfilled all that was written and said about you. You conquered death. And you offer to give life. And so, Father, as we partake of the bread and the cup, we pray that you might just cause our hearts and minds to be alive in you, to live in such a way that we're not concerned about ourselves, but we're concerned about you and those around us. Help us to live selfless lives in 2017. Help us to live lives that, that show others what it means to be lost and found. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.